I'm Chris Sims. I'm Todd McKay. This is the Canadian Taxpayers Podcast. We're dedicated to lower taxes, less waste, and more accountable government. In Deep Dive, we are bridging the Great Divide. Our Quebec director and our Alberta director are going to talk about pipelines together. It's going to be something. Still in Quebec, in Waste Watch, we've actually got this super weird story about the government buying boats that keep crashing into their docks over and over again. But first, unfortunately, we've got some bad news on the finance front in Ottawa. Todd, let's rip off the Band-Aid. What's happening? Yeah, it's bad and it's official. We've got a report out showing that Canada has the biggest deficit proportionally uh, right now among other countries. And that comes from the International Monetary Fund. It just released its semi-annual report last week. Canada's deficit is just under 20% of our GDP. So if you look at out of every $5 that uh, the economy generates, that's like the government borrowing one of those dollars. That is an absolute truckload of money. It really is. I was reading about it. And what struck me as really weird is that our deficit is even bigger proportionally than they're running in the States. How does that even happen? Yeah. And listen, I mean, every government in the world pretty much is borrowing truckloads of money. We're in a global economic uh, crisis that happens. But that still is is striking that our deficit is bigger proportionally than than uh, other countries. The United States, uh, the deficit there is about 18.7% of GDP. Now, listen, when you're talking about half points of of GDP, it's easy to be like, ah, half a percent, that's not that big a deal. You know, you're thinking about uh, figuring out your tip on your lunch bill. But no, we're talking about whole economies. This is billions and billions of dollars, so much so that economist Jack Mintz at the University of Calgary, he's sounding the alarm about it with a really striking uh, column in the National Post. Everybody should read what he's saying, especially because he's pointing out that it's not just the federal government that's borrowing all this money. When you add in the uh, provincial governments and others as well, we're on track for 57% of our GDP uh, going to uh, deficit spending right now. That's more than government spent during both world wars. 57%, when it's put that way, can actually make you feel queasy. You know, thankfully, we are not in the middle of a world war right now, but we're still spending more than we would have been. That's really jarring. Before COVID, things were relatively good, economically speaking. We should have been making lots of money as a country, saving for a rainy day, maybe even paying down our national debt. But we weren't. I'm worried that our political leaders actually don't have a map or a compass to get us out of the woods here. Yeah, and that's actually a really big, big problem. You know, uh, financial prudence, it's kind of like a muscle. It gets stronger if you use it. If you don't use it, it gets weaker. Right now, we're really going to need to flex that muscle to deal with the situation we're in. But unfortunately, politicians across the board, it's no one party uh, mm-hmm. across the board. Uh, we've been spending a lot of money and we don't have real strong prudence to try to get that back on track. Professor Mintz is making exactly that point. He's saying, listen, we're going to have to get the brakes on here because we can't uh, keep rolling with this Christmas tree spending. That's what he's calling it, Christmas tree spending. That can't go on forever. I hear a lot of people put it this way, that they're looking for the adults in the room 
because it's really easy uh, to be the nice one all the time and say, oh, no problem. Uh, if you need money, you can have it. We can just print more money here, print more money there. It's like an Oprah show. You know, everybody gets a gift, but eventually the music stops and somebody has to pay for it. So is there any indication coming out of Parliament Hill that you're seeing that somebody is going to grow up and actually get a hold of this? How are we going to stop this spending? Well, listen, first of all, we've got to come up with a plan. Uh, plan is essential. It's better to have a bad plan than no plan, because at least a bad plan, you can make it better. And the way you, you make a plan uh, when it comes to government is a budget. You know, we haven't had a budget in this country for a long, long time. And, you know, COVID struck right during budget time, typically. Uh, and uh, so a lot of governments, you know, kind of skipped that step because they were in a lot of uh, uh, turmoil at that point. But that was months ago. You know, it's one thing when you get surprised by something. It's another thing when you still haven't got done what you need to do. We need to, to get down to good, comprehensive, concrete budgeting, make a plan. Listen, it's not going to be a perfect plan. It's a plan that's going to change, but let's get a plan in place. Guys, it's almost Halloween. We got to get this figured out. Well, exactly. And uh, for anybody who wants to actually read the gory details, we highly recommend it. We're going to link to that Jack Mintz article in our show notes. So please give it a read and share it around. And, you know, to put a point on it, this is why this is why the Canadian Taxpayers Federation is always urging all levels of government to be prudent with taxpayers money in good times and in bad. On that note, it's also important for governments to be prudent with our natural resources. And Franco Terrazano is going to take a deep dive now into the world of pipelines with our Quebec director, Renaud Broussard. Right now, Canadian unity for the win. It's time to take a deep dive into important topics for taxpayers. And today, I want to talk about Bill C-69 or what's most commonly referred to as the No More Pipelines Law because we just got a notice that we're going to be going to court to fight this federal law on the week beginning of February 22nd of the new year. And today on the show, I am joined with Renault. Renault, you're a Quebec director. I'm the Alberta director. And I think it's about time we hash it out over Bill C-69. Well, Franco, I'm not sure how much hashing out we're going to have to do. C-69 is a bad bill, and I'm not the only one saying so. That's what the Quebec government said when it presented very clear submissions against it when the bill was still being considered in Parliament. You know, it's not every day that Alberta and Quebec can agree on something, and that just goes to show how bad C-69 is. Here's why Quebec's against it. C-69, the No More Pipelines Bill, impedes on areas of provincial jurisdiction. It's not Ottawa that's responsible for developing our natural resources in our provinces. It is the provinces that are responsible to do it, and we should not have to wait for Ottawa to greenlight every single project we want to, uh, to see going forward in our provinces. Well, you know, I mean, with what's going on in the economy right now, um, as we emerge from the COVID-19 economic shutdown, um, is that we, we need to get our people back to work. And, and so clearly we need development. But this Bill C-69, this federal law, will make it even more difficult for pipelines to be approved by imposing additional considerations into what is already a very onerous regulatory process. And you know what the perfect example of how onerous our system is comes from Kinder Morgan and the Trans Mountain expansion. So Kinder Morgan started talking about the TMX back in 2012. Now it's 2020. So since that time, we've chased away the business who was willing to put their own money on the line. And now we're putting taxpayers on the hook for billions of dollars. And the pipeline, the thing is still not built. 
And this is what the head of Canada's uh, Pipeline Association said about Bill C-69, quote, it is difficult to imagine that a new major pipeline could be built in Canada under the Impact Assessment Act, which is Bill C-69. My mother always said, never say never, but in the current environment, we can't see how one is going to be proposed, end quote. You know, it's good to see Quebec uh, standing up against Bill C-69, but Renault, it was Quebec Premier Francois Legault that once said that there is no social acceptability for pipelines in Quebec. So what's going on there now? Unfortunately, you're right. He did say that, but thankfully, all that is slowly changing. Now, I don't want to get anyone's hopes up. Uh, Energy East is not back on the table yet. Uh, And that, despite how ludicrous it is that Western Canadian oil has to go through the Gulf of Mexico and then go up the Atlantic and down the Gulf of St. Lawrence to to reach Quebec instead of simply going through a pipeline. It's absolutely ludicrous, but unfortunately, Energy East is not back on the table yet. But that's not the only project. Uh, The government in Quebec right now is heavily promoting the Energy Saguenay Gas Pipeline and Liquefaction Plant Project, which would help get uh, Alberta and Saskatchewan natural gas to markets in Europe in uh, the the eastern seaboard. And extra regulations like those in C69 make it that much harder for such projects uh, to happen. You know, it's it's unfortunate that Energy East isn't back on the table. And I mean, I especially think that after looking at that photo of showing the, the West Coast tankers getting oil from um, Alberta on the West Coast and having to ship it by ocean to get all the way to the East Coast of Canada. I mean, to me, that just sounds absolutely ridiculous. So it's mm-hmm. unfortunate that Energy East isn't back on the table. But, you know, I guess it's good news that there are at least some new energy projects being considered and promoted in Quebec. Um, but Renault, why don't you walk us through exactly how Bill C-69 is It's going to make it harder for those projects in Quebec to go ahead? I'd be happy to. So the, the main one right now is Energie Saguenay, which is a natural gas pipeline leaving from uh, an existing gas pipeline in northern Ontario, going through northern Quebec and uh, arriving at a liquefaction plant uh, in Saguenay. So the, the objective with this would be to give export access through Saguenay, through the St. Lawrence River, so that, uh, so that Alberta and Saskatchewan uh, liquefied natural gas can more easily reach international markets like those in the Europe- European Union or the U.S. Eastern Seaboard. Uh, with a project like C69, what it means is that this needs to get approval from the Ontario regulator, regulator for the Ontario portion of the project, from the Quebec regulator for the Quebec ver- per, uh, portion of the project, And then it also needs to get, on top of that, federal approval for both the Ontario and Quebec portions of the project. Now, I don't know about you, but if it's good enough for Ontario's regulator and good enough for Quebec's regulator, it should be good enough as is. We shouldn't have to go through another layer of red tape and bureaucracy to get those products to go ahead. Yeah, it sounds like we're really throwing uh, or we're really making businesses jump through every single hurdle here to get things built and get things done in Canada. Um, And, and, you know, here's another important thing that we're impacted in in Alberta and what we're fighting for here in Alberta is that we're trying to push back against the feds on a whole number of issues. And one of the main issues is for greater autonomy. And I I like to hear what your thoughts are on that, because I know Quebec has been fighting for greater autonomy for a very long time. And um, I'm guessing this is definitely one of the reasons that Quebec is pushing back against the federal Bill C-69. Am I right about that? 
Well, absolutely. It's just not a federal government's responsibility. And we're not the only ones saying that. It's very, very clearly stated in the 1982 Constitution. Uh, and it clearly states that non-renewable resources, forestry, and electricity are exclusively areas of provincial jurisdiction. So that means Ottawa should not be meddling with this. And C69 meddles with that. And you know, a fun fact about this, the reason why we got this in the Constitution Act in 1982 is actually because Alberta Premier Peter Lougheed, Saskatchewan Premier Alan Blakeney, and Quebec Premier René Lévesque at the time were willing to stand up in the fight for provincial autonomy against Pierre de Trudeau's centralizing tendencies. It's kind of ironic that we have to do it again with his son. <laughs> well, you know, in Alberta, we definitely reminisce about that fight uh, that, that we had a, a little while ago. <laughs> and, and we have a current fight going on in our hands, too, because Premier Jason Kenney has launched a legal challenge in Alberta's Court of Appeal. And the Canadian Taxpayers Federation is an official intervener against Bill C-69. And we knew we had to get into this fight because, you know, not only do pipelines in our oil and gas industry impact the economy, help create more jobs, but it also has a substantial positive benefit for taxpayers. And, you know, we calculated that Canadian taxpayers have already lost more than $6 billion between 2013 and 2018 because of Canada's pipeline deficit. And we're still losing millions of dollars every single day because the governments uh, continue to get in the way of pipelines. And you know what, Renault, like if oil and gas companies aren't generating the government revenue that we need to pay for services, um, well, then guess what? Governments are going are gonna to be looking for families to be picking up that tab. And this is the message that the Canadian Taxpayers Federation took all across Canada in our 2019 National Pipeline Tour, where we went to every single province, 20 cities um, across Canada. And that's the message that we've been sharing loud and clear. And that's the message that we're going to be taking to the courts in February. Absolutely. I couldn't have said it better, Franco. And I, for one, look forward to seeing our lawyers standing up for taxpayers in the court fight over C69. So stay tuned for updates on that. It's time for Waste Watch. This is the part of the show where we go into the stupid, stupid, stupid things that governments do with your money. And today we've got Renaud Brassard here, our Quebec director. He's back. I, this might be the dumbest story I've <laughs> ever heard. Like, I can't, I can't even, but... You need to explain it. Uh, it's your province. So the Quebec government is having some problems with some boats it bought for a ferry crossing. This is the part I've got a handle on. Take it from there. What in the world is going on? Well, Todd, it's a mind-boggling story. Basically, Quebec taxpayers sink, keep sinking millions and millions and millions into boat repairs because uh, their government-owned ferry captains keep crashing into the exact same dock. <laughs> like, I don't know much about ships. I, I do know you're not supposed to crash them into, uh, into the dock all the time. This is what I know. But okay, let's break this down. There are multiple ships involved in this story. Yeah. So boat number one. What happened with boat number one? So boat number one is this brand new ship the Quebec government got in 2015 from Italy. And he bought it for $170 million and did almost zero quality control. But it, it's not just that they did zero quality control. They sent a couple of guys to inspect the ship while it was being assembled. These guys found a bunch of issues, stuff like air ducts that were already rusted on a brand new ship. They told their bosses about it. And when they, they, they actually waved some red flags, their bosses said, you know... We don't want issues with this ship. You're being insubordinate. We're going to have to let you go. 
So, you know, uh, obviously a boat where you have quality control issues, even if it's expensive, it's gonna have issues. Turns out that the boat didn't really work well. They had issues with the propulsion system. They had to send it for repairs uh, very much last minute and were scrambling to find a replacement ship. Okay, so they're buying a ship for $175 million. They send a couple of guys to take a look at it. Those guys are like, hey, guys, I don't think this goat boat is very good. We should not buy this boat. And they're like, I know how we'll fix the problem. We'll fire the guys who think there's a problem with the boat. Is that That's basically what I've got so far. Well, yeah. I mean, if you've got no guys to say there's a problem, clearly there's no problem. That's, problem that's logic, solved. right? Problem <laughs> solved. Okay. So the big fancy expensive boat goes in for repairs. They need the loaner in the meantime to try to deal with it. So how did the replacement work? Boat number well, two. They decided to buy this ship, uh, the Apollo from Labrador Marine for 2 million bucks. Now the Apollo is this old ship from the 1970s. It's a 50 year old ship. And as, as far as ships goes, 50 year old is pretty old, but the guys from Labrador and Marine said, you know, trust us, the ship is fine, it's seaworthy, everything's fine. And well, again, they didn't inspect the boat. They trusted the guys, they trusted the seller at their word. Because what could go wrong? What could go wrong with not actually <laughs> checking to see if the boat works? So let me make that into an actual question. How'd that work out? Well, they, they got the ship. About 10 days later, crashed into a dock, sent it away from for repairs. Then it came back and a few days later again, crashed into another dock. Uh, so at this point, the Federal Transportation Safety Board decided to get, uh, to get involved with it. So they decided to inspect the ship. Well, guess what? The ship, they, the used ship they bought, the 50 year old ship they bought uh, on the cheap after, uh, without even inspecting it, well, it turns out that it was an absolute lemon and that the ship wasn't even seaworthy. Like some of the issues that the inspectors highlighted were pretty bad. Apparently the hull wasn't even watertight anymore. Yeah, and look, look, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not an expert in seafaring, but I'm pretty sure your hull is supposed to be watertight. You've got to keep the water out. That's a key bit of, of a ship. Exactly, exactly. So, so after they found that out, they decided they would retire the ship, which cost $2 million for about like... 20 days in service, a million and a half in repairs, decided to retire the ship and they, they started a process again. They tried to find another ship, a third ship. Okay, I mean, this is after, so they buy this crappy ship from the 70s, crash it into the dock, not one time, but two times, then decide that, oh, wait a second, it doesn't actually hold water. Better buy a third ship. Okay, so I feel like this is almost like a children's story. Like first they did this and then they did that. And third time, Surely to goodness, on the third time, they get it together. What happens with ship number three? So this is kind of ironic because as they're negotiating to buy this new ship from the Germans, the ship they're supposed to buy crashes into another ship. But they decide to go ahead anyway. You, you know, it's, it already crashed, so clearly it's never going to crash again. So they buy this ship for 39 million bucks. They put in six million bucks to put it up to Canadian standard because it's an old ship, not 1970s old, but still old. And well, a few months after the ship launched, guess what happened? It crashed into the same dock. Yeah, I'm starting to wonder, maybe the dock is the problem. Maybe they need to move the dock. <laughs> like, good grief, these guys are insane. Well, it actually gets a little bit better because Remember that second ship, like the one right before that turns out was like an absolute the, lemon the and was not even 70s? watertight? 
Yeah, that yeah. piece of junk from the 70s. Yeah, okay. So, so, the, so the government tries to sell it. And apparently, there was no market for, you know, ships that are not seaworthy, not even watertight. And they decided the best thing they could do was to sink it to make an artificial reef for divers to go in. You know, kind of a fun project. So the way it works is they give it to this not-for-profit for a buck, but then subsidize a not-for-profit for, to the tune of two million bucks to sink the ship. Because apparently it costs two million bucks to sink the ship. You know, they, they keep hitting the same dock, but now they can't even figure out how to sink a ship without spending two million bucks on it. Okay, but, but so they spent they spend yeah. two million bucks to sink the ship. I've heard of people sinking ships for free, but okay, they spend two million bucks because they've got to get the asbestos out or whatever. But surely to goodness, that's the end of the story. Once you've sunk a ship, there's no more cost involved, right? Well, there's a the thing: the with the two million bucks, they did not manage to sink the ship. Apparently, they need another four million to actually sink the thing. They, as, as you mentioned, they had to, uh, you know, it's an old ship, so they had to clean out all the hazardous material from it, including, of course, asbestos. But yeah, so they actually ran out of money to sink the ship. So they can't sail ships very well, <laughs> but they can't sink them either. Like, these guys maybe should just stay away from boats in general. Absolutely. But meanwhile, now it's, uh, you know, it's uh, over a year has passed, a year and 10 days has passed. And that shiny ship that he bought for 175 million, well, now it's back in service. Of course, the issue is not resolved. The propulsion system that was faulty is still faulty. They're not using their shiny new green technology. They're using their like alternate diesel engine to do it. But it's back in service, thankfully. So this brings us to this September. The ships are supposed to undergo scheduled maintenance. Well, as it's... As it is docked, one of the cable snaps, and the ship just drifts away in the middle of the St. Lawrence, hits the bottom of the, of the river, and needs even more repairs. And now, just last Friday, that third ship that they bought, you know, the one, they, the, the one that uh, they bought for 39 million bucks after it had already crashed once, crashed a second time into a dock in Quebec? Well, guess what happened last Friday? What happened? I, I can't even. It crashed into the same exact <laughs> dock again. <laughs> These guys, that's unbelievable. Like, I can, that dock, maybe the success story here is that that is the most durable dock in the history of the world. <laughs> it's still there. Like, I think you got to tip your hat to that dock a little bit. Okay, we're joking about this because it is funny. Like, these guys, it's unbelievable. But on the other hand, Taxpayers are take, getting taken for an absolute ride here. This is a staggering level of incompetence, top to bottom. What's the total bill here? Well, so that's the thing. We don't have the total bill yet. But what we know so far is that it costs over $240 million. So that's to buy the first ship, the second ship, the third ship, all the repairs they had to do all the attempts at sinking a ship but failing, and all the uh, replacement air service they had to put into it. And that doesn't include the latest round of repairs because we don't have that bill yet. Yeah, next week they'll probably crash it into the dock again. 
You know what? We've got in the show notes, we've got uh, links. If you find this story unbelievable, and I almost do, click the link, check it out. But this is why we keep an eye on stupid things governments do, because they do a lot of stupid things and they do them often. Well, that's all for this show, folks. Todd, how do you keep buying boats that keep crashing into docks and not fix the problem? You know, like I'm from Saskatchewan. I don't have a lot of like nautical experience. <laughs> you know, we're pretty landlocked here. <laughs> but like, you know where the dock is, right? Like, it's the same place as last time. How do they keep <laughs> hitting it? Like, they need to put some like high visibility tape on it or like some flashing <laughs> lights or I don't know, man. That is, they got some problems over there. Anyway. Uh, but for all of you, thank you so much for listening. Please subscribe. We love we like it when you listen. We appreciate that. But if you subscribe, then you'll know the next time we've got a gong show like this to tell you about. And I'm, we've got another gong show coming for you next week. Thank you to James Wood for editing as well. Hi, I'm Scott Hennig, President of the Canadian Taxpayers Federation. If you've got another minute, I'd like to ask you to think about the one person you know that would really enjoy listening to this podcast. Do us a favor and do them a favor and send them a quick note to let them know about it. At the Canadian Taxpayers Federation, we believe there is power in numbers. That's why we've worked so hard to build an army of taxpayers who are ready to push back. And we did it because people like you shared our work with that one person that they knew would really appreciate taking part. Thanks for listening, and thanks for doing your part to make Canada a better place.